All right, thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders. This is the podcast where we highlight undiscovered talent. We're scanning Y Combinator, Pioneer, Product Hunt, Twitter, Indie Hackers, all these different networks to find really interesting founders and interesting projects and startups. And we feature them on the podcast before you've probably heard of any of them. And what's great about this is you get to follow along on their journey as they become more and more successful and say, I knew them when. So thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders. And let's get into our next founder you haven't heard of, but you will. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their company, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Rachel Alney, who is the creator, the founder of Geosite. Rachel, how's it going? Good, or as well as we can be while we're uh, stuck in isolation. That is true. I, I'm doing fairly well as well. I will say that because we are all stuck in isolation, I'm definitely ramping up podcast episodes, which feels which feels good. It hopefully, it can be entertaining to people as we have a weekend coming up where we all just stay home. So maybe people can just listen to the pod, you know, listen to this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, you know, everybody's here with us, you know, yeah, they're not I, isolated. That's right. I like, I like that perspective. So for people who aren't familiar yet with what you're working on in GSA, can you give us an idea of what your company is and, and what it does? Yeah, so Geosite is the first tool that really bridges the divide between business intelligence tools, you know, that help people run their, you know, enterprises typically, uh, and geospatial tools. So think satellite imagery, analytics of imagery, um, and our our real sweet spot is helping people create more efficiency within remote operations. So we primarily work with. U.S. Uh, military and then also energy companies. So you can imagine they have really distributed operations. They want to be able to leverage things like satellite imagery and IoT sensors to keep track of what they're doing, and we give them the platform to do that. All right. So I'd love to break it down a little bit. Um, so let's start with the maybe like the satellite imagery. Can you kind of walk through just to help people and myself understand a little more? what what it is um, to our level. Do you have satellites or exactly what, what do you do with the satellite imagery? And um, I guess who do you provide that to? Very basic questions, but um, just to get everyone a baseline of understanding. Totally. So in about 2016, the satellite industry really was booming. Um, you know, there was cheaper launch, there were new constellations going up, there was a ton of new capacity across different satellite providers. So things like Planet Labs. Right now, they have over 200 satellites, um, and they can provide daily imagery around the world. So, you know, back then I was just studying the industry. I hadn't launched Geosite yet, um, but I was very, very excited about all of these new platforms that were going up because this is right when Capella, which they do synthetic aperture radar imagery, which essentially can provide terrain or can look through clouds or things like that. Um, Piam was just starting up that company as well. And so there was a lot of excitement around how people were going to use this imagery. And this is when we started to see a ton of analytics companies. So people using machine learning on that imagery to do change detection and object detection. Um, and the use cases were really clear. And a lot of different industries from insurance, to agriculture, um, energy, construction, you name it, 
people were starting to engage with that data, but there weren't the tools for especially non-technical users to be able to leverage that data. So the core thesis in the beginning was, you know, we will never produce data or analyze it. We want to be the Switzerland of geospatial um, and allow people to access a ton of different streams of data. You know, we would go through and create those partnerships to make it really easy. Um, and so they'd have access to a ton of different data sources and then also be able to layer in analytics from different providers, depending on what people needed, all within an interface that is essentially as easy to use as something like Google Maps, right? So really simple interface, not necessarily built for, you know, geospatial engineers that are doing really sophisticated analysis, but rather for everyone else. So, you know, you can imagine if you, you know, had a construction site that was really far away from your headquarters, you'd be able to draw a box around it, and then you'd automatically be able to pull imagery from a ton of different sources around the globe for what is happening in that area without having to even understand what's happening in the space industry because it's moving so fast. Okay, that's cool. I have that. So is, is it, is the type of technology where if I, if I had it and I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not the type of person you would sell to, but let's say you, I was, um, I could, you know, pick an area like my hometown and then be like, Oh, like I want to see what's going on at my, my, the house that I grew up in. I can just like, pick that point and it just takes pictures of like of the, is that wow that's crazy it, i feel like that's something straight out of like a mission impossible movie it's like oh we want to know what's going on here boom and then how do you get into how do you get into this like like you mentioned you yeah. were just studying this line of work you i think you said back in 2015 like why why this <laughs> it sounds it's yeah, interesting it's, it's funny that you mentioned it's like a mission impossible uh, type of technology because, you know, I'll, I'll explain my story, but a lot of those tools that we see in these like sci-fi movies or these like really swoopy kind of military operation type movies, a lot of that technology doesn't actually exist and it's only just now actually being, you know, realized by entrepreneurs. Um, so I, like many entrepreneurs, had a very circuitous path um, to, to end up where I am now. Um, I actually always envisioned myself going into manufacturing. Um, so I really love process efficiency and um, that comes out when we talk with our customers about remote operations efficiency. It's all about process, removing error, things like that. Um, so I did my bachelor's and master's at Stanford in mechanical engineering and you know, really loved what I was doing, but kept getting pulled into working on national security projects. So I grew up, my mom built, you know, antennas for missiles and rockets and satellites. And, you know, I grew up around defense. And so when I was at Stanford and those sorts of things would bubble up, I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I want to dig into that. Um, so in 2016, it was actually an Air Force study on the implications of the growth in the space industry that kind of kicked me off in this direction. Um, we essentially went through and got to talk to a lot of the both brand new entrepreneurs as well as legacy leaders in the space industry to find out what was happening um, and wrote up a giant report. You know, it had five major parts to it of like, hey, here are the risks, here are the opportunities. Um, one of the risks that we pointed out was the lack of new software to take advantage of all of these new data sources. Um, at the time, you know, I wasn't ready to, to pivot my whole view of my future career. Um, and so I continued on in mechanical engineering. 
ended up doing a PhD actually studying engineering teams inside of Cyber Command um, because, you know, happened to be in a meeting when somebody said, you know what nobody's ever studied before is how you do engineering innovation within very bureaucratic and very hierarchical organizations. Um, and I found that problem to just, it really just stuck with me and I, I became very curious about it. Um, and those are the sorts of things you can do PhDs on if you uh, end up with data sources. So did a PhD um, and while I was doing that, um, it turned out I kind of had a knack for translating between national security risks and people within the military and engineers and technologists here in the Bay Area. And so I was acting kind of as a liaison on both sides, translating defense needs to technologists that you know were running startups and then translating technology back to you know soldiers sailors airmen and marines who actually needed access to new tech um, and it was actually while i was working with a special operations team working through some of their problems that the need for better access to spatial data came up over and over um, and so this was years after i had done that study and so, because the study was, you know, back in 2016, so this is now 2017, 2018, um, I realized there was still a huge gap in the industry. Um, and when you see that, you also start to realize it's a huge opportunity. And so I spent a while doing some market analysis, um, realized that nothing existed like what I was imagining. And so uh, it was me and a PowerPoint when we, uh, when we got our first pre-seed check. That's awesome. I, I like. I like how you frame like there's not this doesn't exist yet. It means there's like an opportunity for me, you know, for us to to figure it out. So, I I have a couple questions on like who who do who who you do sell to. So like I when I started my company like three years ago, I I got the first like I don't know fifteen customers by cold like doing hunter.io, cold emailing them and selling the founder because I'm like good good at sales. I kind of doubt. It's the same process for you as these are not startup founders you're selling to. So can you give us an idea of who uses your product and how do you navigate um, getting to the right person, the decision makers? Uh, I'd just love to hear a little bit about that process. Yeah. I mean, it definitely helped that I uh, had spent an entire PhD worth of time studying bureaucracies. So... That, that was helpful. There was nothing intimidating to me about a lot of policy and politics and hoops and process and um, having a ton of stakeholders. That was something that I understood from day one and actually saw as one of the reasons I started my company. Um, so I think something founders should ask themselves, and you know, I'll, I'll answer your question, but I think one of the, the key things founders should ask themselves is, what is the thing that I can do better than anyone else in the world, right? And for me, as I was sitting there debating, okay, there are all these other things that I've always envisioned doing, um, I had to decide that I was absolutely the right person to be starting this company before I did it. And so, you know, realizing that there was a ton of bureaucracy involved with the different data sources that we were, we were talking about trying to leverage um, on the U.S. federal side, it's not just the Department of Defense that we'd have to, in, to interface with as users, We'd also have to interface with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, the NGA. We'd have to interface with the National you know, Reconnaissance Office, the NRO. We'd have to deal with intelligence you know, groups like NSA. 
um, we, so there were a lot of different bureaucracies that we'd have to deal with, not even just one really big one, um, but very quickly I knew that we'd get tangled up across all of these organizations. So it helps that I had, you know, a baseline understanding of the, both the ideal case in how people leverage and introduce new technologies into these organizations, literally studied it, right? Innovation and necessarily bureaucratic and hierarchical organizations, totally my jam. So um, that was helpful, but then also understanding, you know, who all these stakeholders were and what the reality was versus the ideal, right? So people will point to a process and say, this is how this really large organization does something. Um, but once you dig into these things, you start to find these pockets that actually have outsized influence. Um, so specific user groups that punch, you know, above their, their weight class, is that what it is? I don't know, sports metaphors. Yeah, uh, you got it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, sports ball, right? Um, I, I was like reading books in a closet my entire life, you know, and doing math, not sports. So um, anyways, you, you start to realize that with these really, really large organizations, you have to figure out their internal processes and, and their decision-making process. But then you can actually find that there are pieces of that that you can get through faster or that you can shortcut if you have the right stakeholders bought in. Um, and so whether it's selling to, you know, the Department of Defense or it's selling to energy companies, they all have these really complex systems and a lot of competing demands. Um, and so for us, it, it typically ends up being, you know, what I like to call like a dual pronged approach. And I think this is common amongst most enterprise SaaS companies where you have your end user, which in our case is somebody who is planning a special operations you know, mission on the ground, having to look at terrain, having to look at you know, what intelligence they have, having to look at you know, recent satellite imagery to, to see if there's been any sort of movement, having to look at you know, his team's markings on the map and annotations and commentary and being able to, to create that common operating picture. But then you're also having to make sure to talk to the leadership of these organizations that are trying to figure out what the future holds and trying to uh, resource budgets adequately and, and make sure to procure the right technologies. And then as a entrepreneur, you have to realize that these organizations aren't gonna marry those two themselves most of the time. It's actually up to you to say, hey, you have people, these end users who need this technology. Um, here's an example of what's happening and having them advocate for you and then making sure to build up that, that decision-making sway to actually make sure that these systems are put in place. Um, so, so it can be very complicated, but if you map it out, um, it's totally achievable. And what is it like when, it, so I kind of doubt, I could be wrong, so tell me if I'm wrong, but I kind of doubt there are like dozens of startups vying that are building similar products for the same, you know, government agency. Um, and, and well, I guess I'll start there. Is, is there, is there a lot of competition or is it kind of just a few and the challenge is, is just getting in there and getting to the right person? What's that space look like? Yeah. So the space that we're working in, which is really making geospatial data more accessible to non-technical end users, I'd say is a, it's a, fairly greenfield opportunity. There haven't been a lot of companies there. For us, 
the tricky part is making sure to clarify to people where we sit in the industry. So most people will hear that we're a geospatial company. So they'll be like, oh, you have satellites. And we're like, no, 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 we don't have satellites. And they're like, oh, so you do analytics, you do AI. And we're like, no, we don't do that either. And they're like, oh, so you're an analysis tool. And we're like, well, we're not like Esri, right? Like we're not a geospatial analytics tool for geospatial engineers. Um, and so we always have to explain it more as a operations platform. Um, and so it, it can be a little tricky because there isn't a lot of competition. So people don't have a anchoring point to understand what you're doing. And so you have to spend a lot of time describing the rest of the industry just, and then pointing out what's missing. Otherwise they'll try to, to you know, understand what you're doing based on what somebody else is doing. And if there isn't really anybody in that space, uh, it can be kind of hard. The, you, can't, you can't say Uber for satellite imaging. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Although, uh, so during Y Combinator, you know, demo day, you only have like two minutes to pitch your company. Um, and our company is a bit complex for people to grasp in two minutes. And even if we were to use our closest proxy, which is something like ArcGIS from Esri, which ArcGIS is the tool people use to manipulate geospatial data, we don't quite fit that exact use case right because that's an engineering tool and we're a business tool um and and even then you know esri is like a four billion dollar company um most people don't know what it is and so that's that's not a great way to try to describe us either and so the yc partners actually had me pitch geosite as the spotify of satellite imagery uh, which I was like, no, but it's not just about access. It's not just that we accumulate it and then people can access it. It's really about all of the planning and operations and communications and data governance tools that allow really large organizations to engage with that data. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you raised a pre-seed around, um, like up until this point, like how has it been communicating what you're doing with investors like because it's such a I mean at least in my opinion like a, like a, a lot it's not a it's not simple but it's it, it's it's important how has the conversations been and have you lost some investors and in, like in the whole thing or, or have you figured out how to navigate the conversation oh definitely um we've had many investors come back and be like you know I just don't understand the space right it's easy to understand satellites you build them you launch them, you sell the pictures, right? Um, and, and so that was a little bit easier to grasp before that comes with huge CapEx. Um, with AI, people are like, oh yeah, machine learning. Machine learning is always gonna win, let's invest in it. Um, when you're talking about a, a enterprise SaaS platform that is going after a piece of the market that's never had a SaaS platform, it can be a little bit tricky. Um, so we've, we've had the best luck trying to find investors that kind of understand our core customer group. And then because they understand our core customer group, they understand the needs of those customers, then they can understand our platform. But yeah, it's, it can be a little bit tricky. Um, sometimes I think all founders have to do this. You have to simplify your story before you tell it, um, especially because what an investor wants to see is a lot of numbers and data on how you're going to become a billion dollar company. And if it takes you 45 minutes just to explain your company, you're not going to have any time to convince them that you're the next billion dollar company. Definitely. 
So the last part of the conversation, I want to focus on something you said like 10 minutes ago or 15 minutes ago, which is when you start a company, you should only start it if you're like uniquely qualified to do it. Like you're, you're the better than anyone else in the world to start that. Do you have, I guess it's kind of an open-ended question, but this is something I think a lot about in that I, I started a company, had decent amount of success, but then the I my weaknesses as a first-time founder, young founder, kind of wrecked the whole company, unfortunately, um, which is okay. I learned a lot, and I'm in a dope company now, also a YC company, Prenda, so it, it's like a, I, I'm feeling great now, but at some point, I'm going to want to go back, go back, you know, in the next decade or, you know, a decade or two, um, and start something else, and I spent a lot of time thinking about, like, like what 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 should I be thinking about in regards to like the next thing? What am I uniquely qualified for? Do you have any like tips or uh, questions that you run through your own head when thinking about what you're uniquely qualified for that could potentially apply to like me and or you know thousands of people listening that might be thinking the same thing? Yeah, so I think it's less of um, I've never thought about it as like oh here's a framework for you to use. Usually it's you know, founders will reach out and say, hey, I'm thinking about starting this company. Can I talk with you about it? Right. Um, and so in my head, there's kind of a list I'm going through to understand whether or not, you know, I should help this entrepreneur like, yes, this is the right thing for you to do or try to help them find the right thing for them to do. Right. And I think the the type of advice that I would give would be a little bit different in those two cases. Um, I think that there, there are a couple of key pieces here. So the first one is experience, right? So learning to be a, you know, learning to start a company from scratch, create something that did not exist when you started and hopefully has never existed before. That alone is really, really hard. Um, and on top of that, if your company is going well and you're growing, your job changes every two weeks if not more often, um, sometimes less often, you know, it, it ebbs and it flows, but you know, what I like to call baby CEO training is such a steep learning curve that if you don't already have some experience in, you know, whatever it is you're going to be looking at or some sort of special expertise on it, um, it's going to be a lot harder to outpace competitors if you have them in your space because there's so much you have to learn and so much decision making and so much just brain power you have to put towards making your company survive that if you don't already have that baseline experience or expertise it's not going to work um, and this is why a lot of investors lean towards founders who have you know an expertise in the industry that they plan to disrupt of course, others have a theory that no, if you're from there, you're bringing all these assumptions, you know, whatever. Um, in my case, though, what's interesting is all of my formal education is mechanical engineering at, with a specific focus on manufacturing, right? So when I did my PhD quals, even though my PhD was more org theory than anything else, most of my qualifying exams were mechanical engineering and manufacturing practices, right? So I ended up starting a company that was really far outside of my academic expertise, but I had had experiences with the space industry and I had a baseline knowledge of, okay, here are all the major players, here are all the major trends, 
here are the overall sentiments of these different people and how they tend to partner, right? And if I had to learn that while I was trying to start my company, that would have been a lot harder. And then, you know, there's another big piece here, which is, you know, excitement, right? Um, I think one of the best things that a peer did for me when I first started my company was she tried, she's a, a very successful founder CEO. She has an amazing analytics company. Um, she tried to talk me out of starting my company, which having somebody who cares about you try to talk you out of starting your company and you being so determined to solve the problem that you found is really powerful because I know now there is nothing anybody could have done to stop me from starting this company. So it was less of a, oh, should I do this? It was more of a, I have identified this problem. I know it's a huge problem. It's a problem that, you know, literally kills people, right? If you don't have situational awareness, you know, whether it is a construction site or, you know, a, a remote operation for, you know, a pipeline or something like that, or it's military, not having information is literally killing people. Um, and so for me, I was just, this problem was so untenable that it was keeping me up at night. Um, and I was so eager to solve it. So I think having a background is great. You have to be so deeply passionate about what you're doing um, that you'll do it at all costs because starting a company is really, really hard. Um, and I, I speak as somebody who has two children, right? Like I have dealt with, I like have two children while getting a PhD, right? Like I've done things that are very hard. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and so the problem you're solving has to be worth it. That's an excellent answer. I mean, whenever I get a, like a startup idea, you know, in the next, however, like I get a startup idea every day because that's the type of person I am. But um, like, it's a great way to think about what, uh, what makes the most sense for you individually based on your experience and your skill set. It's kind of like, um, this is the last thing, then we can move into the final couple of questions. But it's kind of like, um, if someone, uh, like, I've gotten really, really, really good at figuring out where to find early stage startups, like on the internet with this podcast, like, there's like this community, that community, this community, that there's these people I can rely on these. I'd be like, if someone, a random person was like, yo, like, I'm going to compete with Matt's podcast by like, finding early stage founders, what, you know, where should I look first? It's like, they can, like, there's nothing stopping them, but there's information because I've been doing this for a little while that like, they will need to go through and find, but I already have. So it's like, is that it's me going into a random industry. It's flipped, right? It's like the other people have all the information and I have nothing. So it's a really, really great way to think about it. So I appreciate that. So yeah, what is the big vision for your company, is it going to get to a point where consumers like myself can be in mission impossible and not just, just joking, but, but what's, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, however long out you want to think, you know, what does this company look like? Who are you working with? What are the products that would just love to hear about the big vision? Yeah. So, you know, there are a couple components to this. The first is kind of the technological component, right? And then there's the, the industry components, the technological component, our hope is that we become the standard for how people engage with any sort of spatially referenced data. So, you know, we've talked a lot about satellite imagery, 
but already we do things like integrate drone imagery or aerial imagery. Um, we integrate all sorts of IoT systems, so GPS trackers, so you can see where your team is in the field. You know, pressure sensors, so you can see, you know, the the safety of your equipment and and different operations. And so basically being able to pull up a dashboard and have complete situational awareness um, where that's not possible right now. And eventually building various things into that to allow people to make decisions more quickly. So, you know, combining things like, hey, we have imagery of this area, so we know that there's increased activity. We're also seeing that this sensor um, is acting more different, is acting different from usual. So how are these different pieces of information telling us something about our site that we may not have known otherwise? Um, so, you know, being able to incorporate any sort of data that belongs somewhere, I think is really important. Because right now the world is producing a lot of data and there are a lot of ways of looking at it. Um, our team really loves thinking about data that is location relevant. Um, the other piece of this, industry-wise, you know, you mentioned, you know, you could be, you know, their mission impossible. That's that's not outside the realm of possible for us or what we've wanted to do. For instance, we had somebody reach out to us once that said, I live in Colorado, but I have a home in Kansas. I think it may have been hit by a tornado, but I'm not there. Do you guys have imagery? And we said, well, what's your address, right? So we go in our system, typed in his address, drew a box around his home and then cycled through imagery from the last month. And sure enough, it had been hit and there was you know, a ton of damage and it was really, really bad. And we were like, you know, we usually just work with enterprises. We don't even know how to handle this type of user at scale, but in this case, of course we're gonna help him, right? So, you know, we gave him access to the platform and let him see the damage and, and decide what to do. But you could imagine that what we would love to get to eventually is everything all the way down to just everyday users could go in and immediately have access to the world's best satellite imagery um, or, or train information or flood information or all these sorts of things for anywhere in the world, all the way up to the most sophisticated use cases where, you know, you have these really sophisticated military systems that, you know, need to be integrated, need to be able to pull in um, really exquisite data types. Um, and so dealing with that side as well. Wow, that's that's awesome. That's a, it's a very cool vision. And in order to make it happen, you know, you know, you obviously obviously need some help. You'll need customers, you know, employees, maybe investors, and also you you'll definitely need help from the forward thinking founders community. So for the last question of the podcast, is there anything? Uh, that the forward-thinking founders community, the listeners can do to help you out, whether it means you're hiring, you want to socially, anything like that, how can we help it push your vision along? So I would say right now, uh, the world is in a bit of turmoil, uh, so I won't ask a lot from everybody. Um, our, you know, If people want to look at our website, it's pretty easy to find. You can just Google us. Um, we're always open to people's imaginative ideas of how they would use our system. That's what we found to be one of the most interesting things at scale is people will come to us and say, oh, have you thought about using your system for this? And we're like, huh, we never have, you know? So, you know, we love ideas. Right now we're, we're not currently hiring. Um, we're, we're a little bit plateaued at our current number. Um, we're crushing a ton of my poor team. They are working so hard. 
Um, we're just crushing tons of things on the military and energy side. Um, but especially users, you know, within our two core groups, um, if they want to see our platform, we would love to show it to them. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I learned a ton um, regarding how to, you know, how to sell to this type of customer to how to think about startup ideas. So I appreciate you coming on and best of luck moving forward with, with Geosite. I think you have a bright future ahead of you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thank you everyone for tuning into that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And luckily there's another one coming up real soon. But before then, I have a couple things to tell you. First, if you're listening to this and you think you're working on something cool or you think you're smart, hit me up on Twitter. I am at Matt underscore Sherman, and that is Matt with one T. So hit me up, shoot me a DM, and I'm happy to check out what you're working on and maybe we can get you on the pod. But at the very least, I'm happy to give you feedback on your product or project or startup. Lastly, if you can please rate this podcast in the iTunes store. That would be awesome. I'm trying to get up in the rankings so more people can discover these awesome founders. And the only way to do that, or one of the ways to do that, is growing with rankings. So if you like what you're listening to, please just go onto the iTunes store, give it five stars or four, you know, or three. I'm not going to tell you what to give, but just tell whatever I deserve, you should rate that. With that, I'm signing off. See you next time. Bye.